Oh, there we go. Uh, today is All Saints Day, and it's a day where we are to remember those who have lived a holy life before us. Uh, not just in the present, but also mainly in the past. Those martyrs even of the faith who gave their very lives. And so I want to I do something uh, this morning, uh, very simply, and that is to ask kind of the question, what is a saint? Uh, maybe in our mind we have this idea uh, that when a saint walks in the room, we hear angelic music in the background. Ah, you know, Some people get this idea that when Jesus walked into a room, ah, you know, the angels started singing that you could visibly see a halo on His head. Um, and that is just not the case at all. Uh, what you'll find in the Bible are people who are called saints are often sometimes surprisingly uh, failing God. Such people as Abraham, such people as Moses, and one I want to continue to look at today, which is kind of continuing our series on kingship, which is David. So what I want to do is I want to actually read from two different passages, the first being 1 Samuel 13 and verse verses 13 and 14. And then if you'll just kind of flip over to the New Testament, hold your finger there in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and notice in Acts chapter 13, and we'll do a little portion reading in chapter 13. So just turn there and, and hold the finger, and we'll, uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Here is a, a scene in Samuel where Saul has disobeyed God. Now it's been for... You know, he disobeys God really two times, and the Spirit, it says, leaves Saul. And this is one of the climactic moments where he makes this sacrifice, which was illegal for a king to do, for reasons that we don't have time to get into, and basic separation of powers. And, uh, and so, you know, there were three different powers in, in Israel. You had the priesthood, the king, and uh, the prophets. And so these were to be separated. They're not the same thing. One person does not do all of them. So notice here in 1 Samuel 13, we're going to start reading with verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which He commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Flip to Acts chapter 13. Paul is uh, actually preaching along here. He says, this is a verse... 16b, the second part of 16, says, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. That would be us. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, He led them out of it. And for about 40 years, He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when He had removed Him, which we just read, He raised up David to be their king, of whom He testified and said, quote, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Let us pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is our direction and we love it. So we pray now that You would help us to understand it and more than just understand it, to actually do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, I was in Academy Sports and about to check out uh, with, my, with my dad and uh, the boys and all. And I noticed, uh, went past a, an aisle and I thought, I think I know that guy there. So I kind of walked by again, did another pass to try to get another glimpse and say, you know, do I know this guy or not? And so I kept looking and I'm like, I know this guy. I've met this guy somewhere. And I was trying to write my brain, Calhoun, was it something about church or, or whatever? And the closer I got, I said, oh, okay, I know, <laughs> I know where this is. So, so I came up to him I said, well... I said, you probably get this a lot, but uh, you look a lot like Craig Kimbrell. That's, that's a picture for the relief picture for the Braves. And um, he said, yeah. He said, yeah, my parents think so, you know. And, uh, and I said, yeah, well, you know. I said, we met him once and was able to get his autograph and uh, get a picture and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm actually Craig Kimbrell. Um, I'm like, you really? Oh, okay, yeah, well, cool. Okay, well, I got to meet you then, you know. And so, hi, how, how's it going again, you know? And, and so, you know, you never know what to say in a situation like that. I mean, uh, you know, you're kind of in the presence of a guy that can throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball that just signed a $42 million contract for four years. It's like, uh, you know, okay, well, I don't want to disturb you any longer. You know, I know you're trying to fly under the radar here, but, but that's really neat to meet you again, you know, and see you. So, and that was the end of that conversation. Really nice guy. Uh, no one else recognized him, you know, had his ball cap on, just a sweatshirt and sweatpants, you know, just trying to get some fishing gear at, uh, at Academy. And, and I thought to myself, you know, we think of these celebrities or these professional athletes in a certain light. And then when you actually get to meet them, like the time I met Drew Brees as well, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much anticlimactic as it is a bringing down to earth the fact that these are normal people. I mean, he's sitting here pulling out his billfold like everybody else and having to pay for, you know, this fishing gear that he's trying to get. Driving himself by himself, you know, flying under the radar like any normal dude would do. And you just, that's not maybe the picture you have of somebody that has that kind of celebrity, that kind of money, and yet here he is. And there it was. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's kind of like saints. Saints are, really, the term is, means literally holy ones. This is the premier term, if you will, that Paul will use in the New Testament to talk about the church. In other words, when he even writes to the Corinthians, that awful church, right, that had divisions and all these bad things going and couldn't get their worship right, uh, he calls them saints, not sinners, but saints of God, holy ones of God. And you'll, you'll know that in, in the Old Testament, you have this call that goes forth. I am holy, God says, so therefore you be holy. He calls Israel to be a holy nation, a royal 
priesthood. And so, I thought to myself yesterday, that's kind of like how it is. We idealize these people as if they, they lavitate as they walk. You know, as if, as if they're completely a different breed of human. And the reality is, what they would tell you even is, no, 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 we're not. We are as you. And the biblical picture of saints, of holy ones, of people who are uh, examples for us are not pictures of absolute perfection. Never deviating from anything. Never missing the mark. That's not the picture we get. We actually get a very human picture of people in the Bible. Now, in ancient myth, you don't get that. The gods are always... Whatever they do is perfect. Uh, But in Abraham's life, he doesn't always do the perfect thing. He lies about his wife in order to try to protect her. Uh, They go a different way to try to get a baby. And you'll see the same thing with Moses. He's a murderer before he ever is a deliverer. And then we come to David, who, I mean, if you're wanting to understand the history of Israel, you have to understand Abraham, you have to understand Moses, and you're going to have to understand David. David is a man after God's own heart. Now, I don't know of anywhere else in the Bible that actually says that about somebody. I mean, everybody's got their thing like, Moses is the friend of God. Um, Abraham is the father of faith. But David is a man after God's own... And you say, well, hang on. All I can think when I think David is adulterer, murderer. That's because you live in the past. That's because you don't understand, if that's all you see with David, that that is forgiven and then cleansed. And that's good news. You see, it's actually great news that David is this example of failure. I mean, you hate to say that, but at the same time, if he never failed and we have this perfect you know, specimen, we're thinking, boy, that's never going to be me. And it's just not the truth. It is the lie of the enemy to say to you, you cannot be holy. Whoever or whatever in your life is saying to you that you cannot reach sainthood is a lie. And I know you think that's for people who dedicate their life to ministry. No, it's not. Actually, some of the harshest things is said against people who dedicate their life to ministry. You remember? At the judgment, they will say, look, we cast out demons. We preached in your name. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's about knowing Jesus. That's what a saint is. That's what a holy person does, is know Jesus Christ in His fullness. So, the first point here is simple, and that is David was a saint. And on All Saints Day, we want to remember, in particular, King David who, by the way, was called the Messiah. Remember, we talked about that Christ means Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. So when the Scripture says that He was the anointed one, He was literally Christ. And yet, the Scripture says there's one of your sons that will come who will save the world. So it's not going to be you, David. But David's obedience makes this possible. God makes a covenant with David in 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
And you can go back and read that. Basically what happens is David says, you know what? I'm living in a huge house uh, made of cedar. So it smells good. And God is living in a tent. And He's been living in a tent. He's been traveling around the wilderness. And so if I'm living in a big house that's made of cedar, I want you, God, to live in a big house. And so Nathan the prophet says, hey, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Uh, Go for it. And again, you can see the relationship and the separation of powers between prophet and king and even priest. Um, And so he says, go for it. But during the night, Nathan has a vision slash dream. And the vision, God says, I don't need David to build me a house. I've been doing just fine all these years, traveling around with the children of Israel. And so I don't need him to build me a house. So what he says is, is the proclamation is this. David, thanks for saying, I'm going to build you a house. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to build you a house, David. But house here is not physical structure, but instead family. It's like we talk about our household, not to mean our brick and mortar, but instead our children, our family. So too, God says, I'm going to build a house that will last forever. And this is the beginning of the kingdom of God. This is it. This is where it begins. When, when Jesus comes, when John the Baptist comes, that had been a prophet for 400 years, and what does John say? He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does Jesus come preaching the same message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You ever wonder what the kingdom was? It starts with David. This is where, and it's going to last forever. Again, this is what we've been talking about over the past two weeks. We're not bashing nations on purpose. We're just simply saying no nation is going to last forever except for this nation. This holy nation, this royal priesthood, uh, this kingdom of God. That's the only kingdom that will last for all time because its king uh, has already died and rose again and lives eternally for us praying for us. He's the king over all kings. Let me just lay out some things that a saint does, a holy person does. If we're called to be holy people, then we need to know what it is are the characteristics of uh, sainthood. One is that they're at peace. A saint is at peace. They don't have to have anything. It's really the declaration in Psalm 23... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's King James. Basically, I don't need anything. If He's my shepherd, I don't need anything. So it's not this chasing after the next best thing. Sounds like a commercial. Uh, It is not seeing the grass greener on the other side. Instead, it's being at peace. Even with our desires... Even with our current circumstances, a saint, somebody that's holy, is at peace. Now, it's not the world's peace. The world's peace is this. The world will give you peace with itself. So if you do what people say, if you follow the herd, they're not going to bother you, right? I mean, as long as you're doing what everybody else is doing, that's fine. As soon as you stop doing what everybody else is doing, that's where they have their problems. What's wrong with you? Stick in the mud? I can't tell you how many times growing up that I was called a stick in the mud. Um, 
that's okay. I like to swim upstream most of the time anyway. So it only fueled uh, my, my own personality. So you're going to get that. As a Christian, well, why aren't you doing what everybody else is doing? And this is really an opportunity to witness. If you have nothing in your life where people stop and say, why do you do that again? Then you may want to go ahead and cut some things out. Maybe you look too much like the world. We all ought to have places where we are not at peace with the world. Uh, But the world offers us peace with itself, peace with the flesh, desires. Now, here's the thing is, most people will think, oh yeah, Christians, they just want to squelch desire. They don't want us to have fun. They don't want us to enjoy sensual pleasure. I would encourage you, and this is not blasphemy, to go and actually read the world's religions. Or take my class. And I, can, I can summarize it for you. Um, what you'll find is Christianity of all the world's religions is the most material religion there is. Now what I mean by that is this. In Hinduism, the physical world, the material world, is bad. It's what keeps us here. It's what is ultimately hell. It's hell on earth, literally in a real sense. The fact that you're trapped in a body is the problem. That's why they're reincarnated over and over again. And freedom is being released from the body. Released from the material existence. If you can simply transcend it, that is salvation to them. That is not salvation in Christianity, my good friends. Jesus did blasphemy to all other religions when God, who is spirit, who is not matter, who created matter but is not the material world, became matter, became a human, became a person in the flesh. That really throws a wrench into things. And the early Gnostics could never get over it, which is really who John the Beloved is writing to in his Gospel, we believe. That's why he begins by saying, the Word, the Lagos. Lagos is a philosophical term that philosophers had used for 400 plus years to try to aim at whatever is the unity behind everything. And now that unity that is unseen behind everything, that, as one of the philosophers said, first mover or unmoved mover, that thing that we can't see or put our finger on has now become materialized in Mary. That's crazy! It's crazy good. It's crazy awesome. And God affirms our body. You see what's happening here? Christians don't say the body is bad. No, no. We say that the body is actually going to live forever because of Jesus Christ. That His body is actually in heaven at the right hand of the Father. His body is not everywhere all at one time except for in the church, in the Spirit. Man, that's some good stuff. Sometimes, you know, you're just you're preaching along and it's like, this is just unbelievable. I just want to sit down with you and be like, Hallelujah! Give me an amen! You know, you don't have to give me an amen, but you know, I always tell my students to say, you don't have to talk in class, but at least show me with your face what it is you're thinking, which people normally do when they're bored, or when they're angry, or when they're happy. You should be happy. Christianity is not at peace with the world, but we are in the world and yet not of the world. In other words, we're not a product of this world. We never allow ourselves to be produced by the world. We're produced by God. 
in His world. And we are the changers. That's how it works. We're the salt that preserves the decaying piece of meat, which is our world. And He pours that salt. He gets us to get into dark places, into bad situations, in order to preserve the world, to add flavor to life. Enjoy life. Enjoy your body. You only get one. That's it. And so the Bible actually affirms the body. It's an amazing thing. And I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. We have the peace of Jesus, which is not with the world, not with the flesh, and not with the devil. But instead, it is with our neighbor. It is being at peace with ourself. It is at being at peace with God. The exact opposite of what the world's peace has to offer. World peace, uh, the worldly peace is greed, lust, and pride. Godly peace, the peace base that Jesus comes talking about, poverty, chastity, an old word for love. And you know, I, I've started using this word more because we've almost lost love in our current definitions through the movies. and t- You talk about love to someone, oh yeah, you know, it's feelings or what. No. What about chastity? What about charity? How about that? What does that sound like? It sounds very different. So chastity is guarding this charity, this love that He's given to Obedience. That's the kind of stuff that brings peace. Can you believe that? Poverty? Obedience? I mean, that doesn't sound like... It's, it's always, uh, once I've heard this illustration, it always is the one I go to personally, and it's a kite. You know, a kite. Just imagine ourselves as a kite. You know, we're, it's windy outside, so we're flying high, man. You just, and we're saying, man, if I, just, if I could get this uh, string off of me, I could really go high. I mean, I could really soar if I was untethered, if I was really free, you know? Well, cut it free, and what happens? done. You have to be tethered to something. You have to be grounded in something. It better be His instructions. Amen. Obedience. You see, it's not worldly freedom of doing whatever you want. What does that even mean? How is that even possible? It's not possible. No one can do whatever they want. Not even the richest person in the world can do whatever they want. They can't have my kids. Can they now? You see, we listen to lies and we start looking and saying, I wish I was this or that. Don't! He's given you you. He's given you your family, your house, your friends, your vehicles. They're all gifts from Him. And we can be at peace. But it's not the peace of the world, it's the peace of Jesus. Also, a saint counts the cost. In other words, they know what they're getting into with this relationship with Jesus. And Jesus even says, look, if you want to follow me, then count the cost. It's really fascinating, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but there's a couple people that come to Jesus that He tells them they're not going to be able to follow Him. And you're like, that's really rude and mean, isn't it? I thought He wanted everybody to follow he says, look, you realize tonight I don't have a place to lay my head, right? The guy's like, oh, well, you know, 
Maybe another time. So, here's the deal is, they count the cost and they sell out. That's an old term, isn't it? You know, back in the 80s and 90s, that was a big church term, was, was man, you got to be sold out. And I've you know, resurrected it this morning to say, I like that term. We count the cost, we see what it's going to cost us, which, by the way, is everything. And a saint will say, okay, it's yours. Never was mine anyway. Amen. <laughs> We're like little kids. You know, and I always say this. It's funny though. They're going to buy me a Christmas present, you know? With my money. You follow me? You see how this is working out? And they're saying, look what I got you, Daddy. Aren't you proud of this thing? And I'm saying, yeah, man, you got a job. Where's your money at? Your mama got that for you, didn't she? Where'd she get that money from? <laughs> it's all ours. And yet, we give it to them in order to teach them. You've only got $5. What are you going to do with it? You can blow it right now, or you can save it up. We have our savers, and we have our spenders. We're like that with God. He has given us all different types of things. Reminds you of the parable, doesn't it? Some five, some three, some one, but some and all well, all have some. That's the point. So you can complain that you just got one, but when He comes back, if you've buried it and done nothing with it, it's not going to work out very well. But if you've multiplied it, in other words, given it away, invested in His kingdom, it's going to last forever. Amen. I mean... You know, just just taking, for example, the worship team, and or, or those who even work behind the scenes. I mean, you, you know, this place doesn't just magically get set up. There's people who come every single week early to set up, giving of their time. People put up, and people pray behind the scenes that I don't even know about. I don't have to. It's His kingdom. It's His church, not mine, not yours. But it's this awesome thing of, of we're all given something and then we offer it back to Him in His service as an investment. And it's an investment that will last forever. Your job's going to forget about you, haven't you heard? They're going to cut you loose and get another number in there. But the things that you do in God's church will never be forgotten. And I can't help but think that one day there's going to be this scene in heaven, because we're going to have plenty of time, where your deeds and acts are going to be shown for everybody. This is what the Scripture indicates. And we're just going to be like, look at that! Go, man! Yes! That a boy! It's going to be one of, these, one of these team wins, if you will. And afterward, you're watching the, we're watching, the, I mean, you know, just like football, we're watching the review and we're saying, we're saying, oh, look at that, I never even knew that. And here you were helping me. You never even said a word. Because that's what saints of God do. That's what holy people do. That's what a holy nation does. It's, it's not about them. Craig Kimball doesn't walk into the academy saying, hey guys, I'm here. Who wants an autograph? Instead, he's flying under the radar. That's how you know someone is truly of God. They're not seeking power. They're not doing power plays. 
That's not of God. Did you not hear our reading this morning? You want to be the greatest? Get down and wash somebody's feet then. Go clean the toilets. That's being the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. He takes notice. And when the boss takes notice, who cares what everybody else sees? goes back to the fact that a saint's identity is sure in Jesus. Who cares what the world says? When have they ever been right anyway? Their kingdom won't last forever. We already know that. Why would we go the way of the herd? It's just going the way of the buffalo. They're going to cease. Instead, if you go Jesus' way, if you invest your life in Him, it's going to last forever. Forever is a long time. Forever is incomprehensible to us. Yet He promises it. <laughs> they say, okay, well, okay, I'm digging this. I like this. Uh, I want to be a saint now. Well, good. Hey, <laughs> if we could really see, all of us are being actually drawn into that already. No matter if you want to be or not, if you are God's, He's already. You know, people have always, you know, the, the Wesleyan tradition, the Methodist tradition, is, is strong on sanctification. That's one of our qualifications. Is, is we, we really feel strongly that forgiveness is just the beginning. It's the marriage. But the marriage isn't over at the wedding. You've got the whole thing afterward. And so we want to we present the full... Alright, so in doing that, some people say, man, I just I hate that people don't believe in sanctification the same way. Listen, the Holy Spirit's job in us is to make us whole. It doesn't matter what people believe about sanctification. That If, if they're following Him, then He's going to draw them into becoming a holy person. That's the only end there is. Without holiness, no one will see God. It doesn't matter your title, what you did in life. If you're not holy unto God, you won't ever see Him. You'll get one of these things, I never knew you. And we don't want to hear that. We don't have to hear that. It's, it's funny, the high priest used to have a medallion made of gold on his turban that said, Holiness unto the Lord. And yet, the high priest ordered Jesus to be crucified. doesn't matter what you got on. What other people see doesn't matter. It matters what's in your heart. Stuff that I can't see, maybe your wife can't see, or your husband, your best friend. What's really in your heart? Is it darkness? It's not just about being a good person. It's about being holy. There's a difference. Satan would love for you just to be a good person without holiness. That's fine. It doesn't mess up his plan at all. As long as he's got you asleep, you'll never see those around you. You'll never see the hurting. There is no holiness without other people in your life speaking into your life. Giving of your life. We are never meant to be this cesspool where, where only the stream is trickling into the pond, never out. You don't want to drink that water. Trust me, I did in Wyoming and everybody got sick. You want a river where it's got all kinds of different 
sources coming in and it's flowing to all kinds of places, but ultimately to one source, which is the ocean, who is God. He's the source. We must, as the Matrix says, return to the source. If we're going to be holy, we've got to return to the source. Be plugged in to holiness Himself, who is God. <laughs> so, why doesn't God just do it? I mean, is there a secret button to push? I mean, just tell me, I mean, Marshall, hurry up and tell me what I need to do. It's not about just doing a method. There's no, there's no five-step method to being a saint, to being a holy one. Uh, there's no button to push like you can push the staples button and everything happens. Not going to happen. No, that's not the way. The way is going to be long and arduous at times. It's going to mean the death of you, spiritually speaking. Jesus says, look, if you want to come after me, deny yourself. Just try to do that today. Take up your cross and follow me. The cross is a symbol of execution. He's asking us to pick that up. Yes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred, and again, All Saints Day, we're remembering people like him. He was hung in Germany in 1945 as he heard the Allied troops coming. The Germans quickly hung everybody in the camp before they could get to him. And he was a great theologian that actually went back to Germany in the midst of turmoil to try to free his own people. He was living in America, fine. But decided to go back and actually give his life for his people. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That's not a very nice thing to say. You ever really thought about that? I mean, you say, oh yeah, what a great saying. Really? Lambs among... You know, they're just wanting to... And he's like, okay guys. Alright, y'all ready? About to open the gate here. He's like, oh, hang on. Are we supposed to bring a gun? You know, am I supposed to put on Kevlar? No. We are supposed to give of our life. Even if the world eats us, maybe that's the only way they can taste and see that He's good. Are you willing to do that? That's what He's calling us to. That's the kind of life is to be poured out as a drink offering. You remember this? David, one time, in the, in the heat of battle... He's got all these mighty men, all these Navy SEAL dudes around him. You know, elite guys, elite warriors. And he says, he says guys, I, I, I'm parched. Go grab me some water. So they, they actually beeline it in the midst of arrows and spears and everything else. They go to enemy territory, grab some water, take it up to him. He says, you know what? You've done something amazing here and selfless by giving of your life like that. And so therefore, I am not going to drink this. I'm offering it to God. That's what we're to be. Poured out. This is what Paul says, wasn't it? He tells Timothy, he says, look, I'm about to go the way of everybody, which is death, but I'm still being poured out as a drink offering. If we try to keep our life, we'll only become a cesspool of bitterness, hate, anger. But if we give of our life, that's where life is found. Only in the giving of it. Not in the keeping. And that's what a saint is, is this conduit of we get God's love. We're not meant to be statues. Look at me. But instead, we're flying under the radar. 
Not even trying to get people to look at us. Instead, look at Jesus. We're just His instruments. Yes, we want to be sharp ones, but not for show. Not for show. No, it's not a method. Instead, it's just a matter of doing it. I mean, just kind of going back to the Nike commercial, just do it. You want to be a holy person? Then just do it. Stop thinking about it. Stop pondering over it. Stop wondering about it. Oh, can I? Can I? Don't. Just focus on Jesus. Love Him with all of your heart. Do the Ten Commandments. Be the Beatitudes. These are two places within Scripture that clearly show to us what a holy person is meant to be. You say, well, you know, God should just do it for us if He wants it done. You know that's not the way He operates. God is a lover, not a thief. He's not going to steal your will away, your freedom. You know, I didn't meet Jessica that night 11 years ago, pull out a weapon and say, all right, babe, you're going home with me. That's not love. Never will be love. No one can make you love and God won't make you love Him. But you better be doing it. Just do it. You already know what needs to be done. We should not act like we don't. It's to love our neighbor as ourself. We give ourselves a lot of breaks. That means we give our neighbor a lot of breaks. Well, in conclusion, what will we be, what will we be known for? I mean, a building, uh, a name, a job, What do we want to leave behind? Top on that priority list ought to be holiness. Now, again, don't think, you know, you don't have to have a chorus of angels. And I know that's not angelic singing. You don't have to have a chorus of angels following you around. You don't have to go buy a halo. You don't have to be a stick in the mud. That's not what He's called us to. But instead, life, love, Joy, peace, the fruits, the gifts. He's giving us all this stuff. All we got to do is say yes. But that's the hard part is the just say yes. Most of the time we just simply don't want it. Do you want it today? We've tried to paint a picture today of what it means to be holy. And it's a weak one. In 30 minutes, that's all, that's all we've got. But I think the Holy One has spoken some things into your heart this morning that I could have never said. That I don't know. And that's the awesome thing about God is you can can listen to a sermon and He tells you something completely different. Hey, that's fine with me. You don't have to remember anything of what I said. Just remember what He said and say yes to it. So we're going to have a time of response. And this, you know, I say this, but this is seriously the most important part of the service. This is where you say yes or no to God. This is where the devil will come and say, oh, you know, he's just kind of kidding about that. That's not really ever going to be you and you know it. That's a lie. You can't do it because of this. That's a lie. He can forgive anything. Anything. 
And He can restore you and heal you. You don't believe it? Go read Psalm 51. That's what David penned when he had murdered, lied, and committed adultery in front of God and everybody and was exposed. And thank God he was exposed because I've prayed that prayer over and over again and probably will continue to pray that until the day that I die. It's a penitential prayer. It's a prayer of repentance and of healing. Not just forgiveness, but cleansing. Do you want that? Or are you just going to look away? No one will sin while they're looking at the face of Jesus Christ. So look to His face today. He can make you holy alone. He can make you holy love. Truth is always stronger than falsehood. Love is stronger than hate. And Jesus is Lord. And that's the good news. Amen.